Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we'll go over the topic of cleft lip and cleft palate found under the embryology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start with a clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old mother brings her one-week-old female into your clinic for difficulty with breastfeeding. The mother reveals that she had no prenatal care during her pregnancy and gave birth at home. She notes that her infant has difficulty latching onto her nipple and she occasionally sees breast milk coming out of the infant's nose. On examination, you note that there's no obvious facial deformities, however inspection of the oral cavity reveals a defect on the hard palate and visualization into the nasal cavity. You then decide to refer the patient to a craniofacial clinic. This is a case of cleft palate. Alright, let's go over a few introductory points about cleft lip and cleft palate. With respect to etiology, the causes are multifactorial. When considering the genetics, the concordance rate for monozygotic twins is approximately 40-60%, to 60%, which suggests that genetics does not act alone. With regards to the epidemiology and incidence, cleft lip and cleft palate are the predominant anomalies of the head and neck. Cleft lip occurs in 1 in 1,000 babies, occurring more often in males, whereas cleft palate occurs in 1 in 2,000 babies, occurring more often in females. Of the 200 known syndromes associated with cleft lip and cleft palate, Vanderwood syndrome is the most common. It occurs due to mutations on chromosome 1, and note that it is characterized by facial deformities, most commonly lip pits. Risk factors of cleft lip and cleft palate include alcohol, tobacco, phenytoin, and retinoic acid. Now let's move on to diagnostic studies used for cleft lip and cleft palate. The main test that diagnoses cleft lip and cleft palate is the prenatal ultrasound. It can diagnose facial deformities as early as 18 weeks, and its accuracy improves with gestational age. Know that upon diagnosis, the infant and the family are immediately referred to a craniofacial center for management. Following diagnosis, the infant is screened for any other congenital abnormalities. Let's now discuss the treatment of cleft lip and cleft palate. Primary treatment is surgical correction. Children with cleft palate often have difficulty sucking due to the air leakage between their nose and their mouth. Breastfeeding is often ineffective and specialized bottles with positional techniques are available to ensure adequate intake. Surgery for cleft lip is usually performed around three months of age and surgery for cleft palate is usually performed around one year of age when speech begins to develop. Keep in mind that orthodontic devices may be used to decrease the size of cleft lip prior to definitive repair. Referral to a craniofacial clinic is necessary and comprises multiple specialists. Specialties include otolaryngology, plastic surgery, oral maxillofacial surgery, dentistry, genetic counseling, speech-language pathology, and audiology. Let's get into further details about cleft lip. With respect to the pathophysiology, cleft lip occurs when the maxillary and the medial nasal prominences fail to fuse together, resulting in its characteristic persistent labial groove. Know that you can have complete versus incomplete cleft lip, and also bilateral versus unilateral cleft lip. Now let's review more details about cleft palate. When considering its pathophysiology, cleft palate can be divided into anterior and posterior cleft palate. The demarcating line is at the incisive foramen. Anterior cleft palate is the failure of fusion of the palatine shells with the primary plate. Posterior cleft palate is the failure of fusion of the palatine shells together and with the nasal septum. And finally, anteroposterior cleft palate is a combination of the aforementioned two defects. Note that cleft lip and cleft palate have separate embryological causes but many times occur together. 
Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A two-year-old boy is brought to his pediatrician due to concerns with speech. The parents report that the patient is an active talker with an extensive vocabulary. However, his speech sounds nasally and he has difficulty with certain consonant sounds. The parents have not noted any nasal regurgitation while eating. The patient has had no other developmental issues and the pregnancy and peripartum period were unremarkable. The patient did have some trouble with breastfeeding early on, but he has remained at the 40th percentile for height and weight over the last year. On exam, the patient has a temperature of 98.8 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.1 degrees Celsius, blood pressure is 108 over 76 millimeters of mercury, pulse is 80 per minute, and respirations are 14 per minute. The physical exam is grossly normal with the exception of a palpable submucous cleft at the roof of the mouth. He is noted to have excessive nasal air emission during speech. Which of the following structures was most likely involved in the embryologic development of this finding? 1. Frontonasal process 2. Lateral nasal process 3. Maxillary process 4. Medial nasal process or 5. Nasal septum And the correct answer choice is answer choice 5, nasal septum. This young patient, with a finding of hypernasal speech and air emission, has a submucous cleft, which is a failure of fusion of structures including the lateral and median palatine processes and or the nasal septum. Remember, cleft palate is a condition that results when the bony plates of the hard palate do not fuse in embryologic development. There are many variations on the degree of involvement of the tissues of the palate, but most often there is also clefting of the soft palate and uvula. Cleft palate is a separate but commonly associated condition with cleft lip. A cleft palate is due to the failure of fusion of the embryologic lateral or median palatine processes and or the nasal septum, which is in the midline of the hard palate. A cleft lip, on the other hand, is due to the failure of fusion of the maxillary processes and the medial nasal processes. Cleft palate can result in poor feeding, air escape through the nose, and nasal regurgitation of food after eating. A submucous cleft palate may be diagnosed later in life and result in less obvious symptoms, but can still result in speech errors and trouble feeding. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, the frontonasal process is an embryologic component of the face which gives rise to the bridge of the nose. This is not involved in the formation of a cleft palate. Aberrant signaling and growth in the frontonasal process is believed to cause frontonasal dysplasia. Answer choice 2. The lateral nasal processes are another embryologic component of the face. These give rise to the allay of the nose and are not involved in the development of a cleft palate. Answer choice 3. The maxillary processes are found bilaterally on the face. These fuse with the medial nasal processes to create the philtrum and the upper lip. Failure of fusion leads to the development of a cleft lip. And answer choice four, the medial nasal processes are found bilaterally in embryologic development. These join together in the midline and fuse with the maxillary processes laterally to form the philtrum and the upper lip. Failure of fusion leads to the development of a cleft lip. 
In summary, a cleft palate is formed due to the failure of the fusion of structures including the lateral and median palatine processes and the nasal septum. Next question. A 29-year-old mother brings in her two-week-old baby boy to a pediatrician because he has been having difficulty feeding. The mother reveals that she had no prenatal care during her pregnancy and gave birth at home without complications. She says that her son seems to be having difficulty sucking, and she occasionally sees breast milk coming out of the infant's nose. Physical exam reveals that this patient has a gap between his oral and nasal cavities behind the incisive foramen. He is therefore prescribed specialized bottles, and his mom is taught positional techniques to ensure better feeding. Failure to fuse of which of the following structures is most likely responsible for this patient's disorder. 1. Maxillary and lateral nasal prominences. 2. Maxillary and medial nasal prominences. 3. Nasal septum with primary plates. 4. Palatine shelves with the nasal septum. Or 5. Palatine shelves with primary plates. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 4, palatine shelves with the nasal septum. This patient with difficulty feeding and a gap between his oral and nasal cavities behind the incisive foramen most likely has a posterior cleft palate, which is caused by the failure of fusion of the palatine shelves with the nasal septum. Remember, cleft palate is a defect in the hard and soft palate that leaves a gap in between the nasal and oral cavities. Children with cleft palates often have difficulty sucking due to air leakage between the nose and the mouth. This means that breastfeeding is often ineffective and specialized bottles with positional techniques are often indicated to ensure adequate intake of nutrition. Cleft palates are divided into anterior and posterior defects depending on the relation of the defect to the incisive foramen. Posterior defects result from a failure to fuse of the palatine shelves with the nasal septum. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, maxillary and lateral nasal prominences, may fail to fuse in rare defects but are not responsible for any common disorders. Answer choice 2, maxillary and medial nasal prominences, fail to fuse in cleft lip disorder rather than cleft palate disorder. Answer choice 3, nasal septum with primary plates, may fail to fuse in combined anterior and posterior cleft palates. And finally, answer choice 5, palatine shelves with primary plates, may fail to fuse in anterior cleft palate deformities. In summary, posterior cleft palates result from failure of fusion of palatine shelves with the nasal septum. And finally, the last question, a fourth-year medical student travels to Asia to participate in a medical mission. On the first day, she sees a mother and her two-year-old child who has a unilateral complete cleft lip. The mother states that as an infant, despite some minor difficulties with forming a seal during breastfeeding, the child was able to gain weight appropriately for her age. Additionally, the mother's pregnancy was uncomplicated. The child is now learning to speak but is having difficulty. The remainder of the child's exam is normal. What is the embryologic etiology of the craniofacial abnormality in this child? 1. Failure of palatine shelves to fuse with each other. 2. Failure of the maxillary prominences to fuse with the medial nasal process. 
three, failure of the maxillary prominences to fuse with the lateral nasal process. Four, failure of the palatine shelves to fuse with the medial nasal process. Or five, failure of the palatine shelves to fuse with the lateral nasal process. And the correct answer choice is answer choice two, failure of the maxillary prominences to fuse with the medial nasal process. This child presents with isolated unilateral cleft lip without cleft palate, as evident by the child's normal weight gain. This abnormality is caused by failure of the paired maxillary prominences to fuse with the medial nasal process. Remember, cleft lip is one of the most common congenital craniofacial deformities and occurs both sporadically and in context of a syndrome. Cleft lip develops in the first six weeks of embryogenesis, while cleft palate develops in weeks 7 to 12. Prenatal ultrasonography can usually detect cleft lip, but will often miss cleft palate. Unlike cleft palate, children with isolated cleft lip, depending on severity, in general can still bottle feed, breastfeed, and gain weight appropriately, despite some issues with forming a seal with the nipple. Special bottles can assist with this. Feeding with cleft palate is much more challenging and requires specialized bottles and nipples and oftentimes nutritional counseling. Let's now review two citations that are relevant to this topic. First citation, Shkalkani et al. provide a comprehensive review of the epidemiology of cleft lip. They suggest that cleft lip occurs most commonly in Asians and Native Americans, and most infrequently in Africans, with a male-to-female ratio of 2 to 1. The overall incidence of cleft lip ranges from 0.2 to 2.3 per 1,000 births. The second citation by Dixon et al. review the genetic and environmental influences contributing to cleft lip and cleft palate. They state that the exact etiology of non-syndromic and isolated forms of this disease is unknown, but twin studies suggest a genetic component. A few genes have been implicated, including transforming growth factor alpha and fibroblast growth factor receptor 2. It is likely that the etiology of cleft lip and cleft palate is multifactorial, with genetically susceptible individuals who are exposed to environmental factors being most at risk of developing this anomaly. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1 and 4, failure of the palatine shelves to fuse with each other and failure of the palatine shelves to fuse with the medial nasal process, are incorrect because both of these result in cleft palate. In answer choices 3 and 5, failure of the maxillary prominences to fuse with the lateral nasal process and failure of the palatine shells to fuse with the lateral nasal process are incorrect because both of these options are not associated with any known congenital abnormality. That's all for this review about cleft lip and cleft palate. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, please be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on MedBullet Step 1 Podcast.